Imagine being present, calm, and connected while creating a family environment where everyone can thrive. Welcome to the I Am Mom Parenting Podcast, providing inspiration and actionable steps to manifest the meaningful and magical life you desire for you and your family. We are your hosts, Dimple Aurora, founder of Mindful Evolution and Shaista Fateli, founder of Thrive Kids. Thank you for sharing the I Am Mom journey with us. Let's get started. Hi, and welcome back to our second part of our anxiety series. And in our last episode, we gave you some background information on anxiety. So for example, where it came from and why it exists and how it can show up in your young child emotionally, behaviorally, and even physically. So in this episode, we're going to give you 10 tips, 10 actionable steps on how to manage the anxiety in your child. So this is for children from anywhere from the age of a baby to about uh, 10 years old, I would say, because there are definitely different ways to manage anxiety for teens and adults, which we're going to get into in our third and fourth uh, segments. So this one is just for the young child. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like it's a lot of tips here, hey, like the 10 tips, but it's really <laughs> important though to note that you don't have to use all these tips because I know if I heard someone tell me there's 10 tips, I would feel quite honestly, I would feel quite anxious to, to really implement 10 tips. But what we are seeing is that these 10 tips you can take, you can hear, and you can implement based on y- how you think it would work best for your child and for your family situation, right? So The first tip that I think I am going to share with you is something that's very experiential. Now, in our last segment, we talked about some behavioral signs of anxiety, right? And we talked about how there's often times when uh, children want to go to daycare or, or are supposed to go to daycare or school that they don't want to go, right? There's this refusal that happens. There's refusal to go to school. There could even be refusal to eat lunch during lunchtime at school. I've seen that quite a bit. And there's also refusal to, refusal to use the washroom as well, um, particularly with young children. Now, what you can do experientially in these cases is to build resilience to these situations, right? And to build what we like to call emotional resilience. And what you can do in this case is to first of all, and in every situation, is to name this anxiety. And you can name this anxiety for even young babies, right? And you can tell them, you're feeling scared. You're feeling anxious, right? And when they have this vocabulary, they will become more aware of the anxiety and they will be able to implement strategies themselves. So naming it is this first step that always needs to occur. 
The second thing that is going to help build this emotional resilience is to encourage your child to do these things that are preventing them, that, that their anxiety is preventing them to do in a way that is supportive. So we call this the safety net, right? The safety net of parenting. So you're encouraging your child to do something, not forcing them and not preventing them from doing it, but you're encouraging them in a way that they can hear you are there for them. They can feel you are there for them and they can see that you are there for them. Right. So I think those are really, really important um, actionable steps to take in terms of helping behavioral signs of anxiety. I can completely relate to this first tip because when my daughter was young, she would enter every new situation with such caution. And I would have to be that safety net for her until she was comfortable enough to navigate the scenario on her own. Mm -hmm. And I would always prepare her. And, you know, we, we both coach kids about neural pathways, right? When they haven't done something and they haven't built the neural pathways for it, then it is out of their comfort zone. So teaching them the concept of neural pathways and then having them do the activity is really, it's really helpful, right? Especially when you get them to visualize the activity before they even do it. Mm -hmm. And that active visualization is just it's so phenomenal because your brain really doesn't know the difference between what's real and what has happened, right? So it will think, the, your brain will think that you have done that task and it will enhance those neural pathways. It will continue to build those neural pathways or those roadmaps in our brains, right? And, you know, this is like, it's just so encouraging as well to know this as parents, right? That this is normal and that we are able to use these strategies to help navigate this anxiety, right? I mean, even when you think about it, so the other day we were out at the park and Malaya's trying to walk and she is so nervous to do so, of course, right? It's the unknown, something could happen, she could fall. Anyhow, a lot of the times when she's crying out, either myself or um, her older sister, Mayel, will pick her up because we don't want our kids to be upset. But what I did instead was I got her to stand and I literally put my arms around um, the bottom of her feet as an act of safety net. And I told her, right? And remember, she's only one. And I told her, you're feeling scared. You're feeling anxious. Now, of course, she doesn't know what those words mean, but she's hearing it. And it's making an imprint in her brain. And then I told her, you are safe. Mama is right here. And she was standing um, on her own for like a good few minutes there, right before she, she did fall, but then she was safe, right? So um, she wasn't upset about it because Mama was right there. But it helped to reinforce that concept that you are going to fall, you are going to stand up again, and you will have the safety net around you. I love that story. And you know, that statement, 
I am safe is so useful for young kids at that age. It is so useful. And I remember, I have to tell this quick story. I remember when Adia was two and a half, I passed out at home and I had to go in an ambulance. So I was home alone with her and I was able to call the ambulance. And while I was in the ambulance with her, she kept holding on to me and saying, mama, you are safe because she knew that statement. I had used it with her so many times when she was little. So she just kept saying, mama, you are safe. You are safe. And the paramedics were so impressed that she kept saying that, that she was comforting me at two and a half years old. And they gave her this little stuffy that she still has. (laughs) That is just, you know what? It's the perfect example of how the power of our words can affect our kids, right? And Mm -hmm. how much they can absorb. And if you are telling your child that they are safe, and now that your two and a half year old is telling you in a time of need, it just shows how important it is to create these experiences or or really learn from teachable experiences that come up and make it part of your environment, right? And make it part of an opportunity to enhance these specific skills, right? So that is one really um, experiential tip that could definitely work for many of you. Another really good uh, tip that I actually have worked with, I actually just did this a few days ago with one of my, one of, one of the kids that I'm coaching is to, uh, he really likes art, right? And so what he did is he took art materials and created something called a power doll, which is based upon um, an indigenous Guatemalan tradition of a worry doll. And so he was able to represent create a representation of himself as powerful, as making decisions on his own and having the capabilities to do so. And so when he's feeling as though he has a lot of these emotional signs of anxiety, like afraid of making mistakes or worrying about things in the future, he is able to tell his power doll and get wisdom from this power doll and knowing that this wisdom is residing inside of himself. That's a great tip. We can all use a power doll <laughs> because yeah. our, uh, our monkey mind is sometimes causes a lot of worry, right? Even for adults. So mm-hmm. that's really, that's, that's a, that's a really good one. That's mm-hmm. definitely a good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what, and he really loved it. And uh, I just got a picture like um, a day later from his mom as well, showing me how he's using it. So it's something that, you know, everyone, a lot of kids can use and do use, right? And sometimes they like art, sometimes you need it to be more experiential, depending on your child. And sometimes they need it a little bit more concrete and individual, right? And this is something that... um, is revolved a lot when it's individual around activities like journaling, for example. So one of the kids that I worked with was experiencing a lot of anxiety around going back to school with COVID. And so what we did and what was really functional for him was to really name these fears and to write them down 
and then kind of talk back to these fears, right? Talk back to these worries in a way that helps him solve solve a problem related to the fear, such as my friends are going to um, not talk to me anymore. Um, that's a fear and looking at the problem of why you think that might happen and then solving the problem, thereby decreasing or managing these um, behavioral and emotional signs of anxiety that he was experiencing. That's so good. And again, even for adults, journaling and automatic writing is so useful for uh, for anxiety and for worries and for dealing with emotions, right? I, I don't know what number of tip we're on. It seems like we've already given <laughs> quite a few, but that was, I guess, the third actionable tip. So the fourth one that I like is to teach your child how to breathe when they're feeling anxious. And I think this is something that we can model as adults. So when we are stressed out or about to yell or about to lose our cool, we can show that we're taking three deep breaths and we can teach our child to also take three deep breaths and make it a practice for them so that they know that when you are anxious, you can breathe your way through it. Mm -hmm. And I love that because I think it really helps navigate the physical signs of anxiety, right? So like you were talking, we were talking a lot about the stomach aches, right? And Mm -hmm. a lot of times kids can also have headaches, Definitely. And backaches. I don't know about Adia, but I know with Mayel, she is always talking about her back hurting, right? Oh. And um, I know it's related to anxiety, but when we're able to uh, do, do these techniques, like you mentioned with the deep breathing, it really helps to alleviate some of that pain. Well, mind-body techniques, this is actually my fifth tip here, is mind-body techniques are so helpful because we hold worries, tension, pressure, and emotions in our bodies. And so this tip that I have is so useful as to hold, we automatically are wired to hold comfort points on our bodies when we're stressed. So we might be like, oh my gosh, and put your head on your, put your hand on your forehead, or we might uh, cup ourselves around our neck, right? When we're just kind of, we're, we're worried about something, or we just automatically put our hand on our heart when we hear something that's so devastating or shocking or heart-wrenching. So what we can do is touch our children, our young child in these areas often. So a lot of times hugs are a very easy mind body technique. So giving a 20 second hug to your child can release all those feel good hormones, oxytocin, and can calm anxiety. And usually after after you hug your child, what you can do is look at them, give them that space and that connection look into their eyes. And while you're doing that, you can talk to them and cup, use your hands to cup them around their chin or put your fingers behind their ear and stroke behind their ear. So this is 
working on another part of the body that's responsible for a lot of things. It's your vagus nerve. So that's a whole other topic, but these are areas that can help to calm the body, right? And also when they're stressed, you can rub the upper part of their arms. So the outer upper part of their arms. So stroke downwards from their shoulder to their elbow. I hope that makes sense from their shoulder to the elbow and just stroke downwards about 20 times. And that can calm anxiety, right? Because, you know, a lot of times when people are stressed, they actually, they do these things. They hug themselves. They stroke themselves on their arms. You know, it's kind of like when you're cold or, or you rock back and forth. That's an excellent way to release shock and emotions from the body. And especially if a child has experienced some sort of trauma or adverse childhood effect where they're holding a lot of emotions in their body that haven't been processed, these mind-body techniques are so, so helpful at reducing mm-hmm. the anxiety. I think that is just so incredible. And I'm just reminded of um, infant massage, right? Because I mean, there's a lot of young kids, but there's a lot of babies that can experience these physical signs of anxiety as well, right? And so if you're noticing that there may be a genetic predisposition to anxiety and that your infant may be displaying these physical signs of anxiety, the techniques that you described along with infant massage, which are the same techniques, believe it or not, like I remember being taught like behind the ear and um, I think it's called Indian milking when you're doing it a certain way and you're yes. moving, you're stroking in a certain way. And the havening, it's called havening technique wow. when you stroke down the arms. Yeah. Yeah. And so those techniques taught, they're obviously taught for a reason at, um, such a young age, as soon as you have a baby, a newborn, right? Because it does work. It is something that is effective. Definitely very calming for sure. And uh, the next tip I have here is to, it has to do with getting your child in this rest and digest state. Okay. So the way you can do that when they're eating is to avoid distractions, So limiting, or actually I would say avoiding altogether the iPad or the TV. I know sometimes the TV is difficult, right? I always let Adia have one meal when she was little and I was home with her, she would have her lunch in front of the TV after she, when she was about maybe four or five at that age, um, I started letting her have lunch in front of the TV, but just avoiding distractions so that the body is prepared to digest and so that the child can develop a healthy relationship with food. And so that food doesn't become a source of their anxiety in the future. It's really important to develop and establish a healthy relationship between food and anxiety at a young age. And so even limiting stimulants such as soda pop or sugar can can really help a child to stay calmer and to stay in their healing state, right? A lot, ha- a lot of it has to do with what they're ingesting as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good tip. And not only does it relate to the physical signs or influence it, but that will then 
also influence a lot of the behavioral aspects of it as well, of anxiety that manifests, right? And so I think that that is something definitely to keep in mind. And, you know, just like Dimple was saying, you might not be able to completely eliminate technology or other stimulants 100% of the time. But I think working towards it and making small steps is going to be effective in the long run. And I have two last tips here. So this one is is huge. And I know that a lot of parents struggle with this one and it's understandable. I mean, life happens. Uh, it's, it's about creating a calm environment at home. So less yelling. And a lot of times kids who are often yelled at, they will be in a fight or f- or flight situations. So they're either going to fight with you or they're going to run away. They're not going to respond to you the way that, that you want them to. So it's very um, useful to try to calm our own nervous systems and calm our own anxious energy so that we are not always resorting to yelling in order to get our kids to respond to us. And For, you know, if you grew up in an environment where that was the common method of communication, it's going to be very difficult to learn how to train your nervous system. And it's something that I myself personally worked on for years is training my nervous system to respond rather than react and to be more mindful in my reactions or my responses, I should say, rather than uh, blow up or, you know, and a lot of times if, if you've, you know, had trauma or grown up in a situation where that was the common environment, then it, it is, it is something that you have to work on for sure. Definitely something that has to be worked on. Mm -hmm. And there's so many different strategies that will be effective for those particular situations as well. And I'm so excited for that segment where we're going to give a lot of tips for um, parents, because I think that's going to be so effective in helping to create this calm environment. Exactly. Because the entire intention of our podcast is to create an environment where everyone in the household is thriving. Mm, Exactly. And the last tip I have here is to really incorporate a lot of laughter and play into your child's life. So into their daily life. So laughter is amazing for toning the vagus nerve and stimulating the vagus nerve. And kids respond better when when there's play involved. I mean, kids want to play. They don't refuse play, right? So I remember when Adia was young, everything was a game. I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll get to that faster than you or, um, you know, let's see. I don't know. I don't remember now how I used to play, but it's just one of those things. And I still do it with her. Honestly, daily at some point, I incorporate play into the day. And it's, it's just, it helps them to calm down and to know that they're safe and to be social. Right. And so it is, it's important. And as adults, we need to laugh more. We need to play more. And it's, it's critical to well-being for all of us as humans. 
Yeah, it really brings us um, a sense of connection, I think, when we're able to tap into this idea of play and what it really means, right? And um, in the... in the early childhood education field, we actually say that play is how they learn, right? That's their learning. And Absolutely. so that's where it starts, right? From, from this very young age, but it doesn't go away. And we as adults can engage in this type of um, childhood play with our young kids, create this sense of connection, bonding, and create and uh, safe environment as well. So there you have it, 10 tips, or I think it was more than 10, but definitely some great tips there to help you um, manage anxiety in your young child. I mean, there's there's many other tips that we can can give. And I mean, we are hosting this podcast, so I'm sure we'll speak about this again, but hopefully that was... Uh, Hopefully that was something that you could, some of these are, you can incorporate into your life and experiment with and try out and see even if it makes a difference uh, for you and your child, because all of these techniques can go for adults as well, right? Yeah, definitely. And they're going to work for adults. They're going to work for older kids. Of course, it's going to be a little bit, um, the concepts will be there, but the techniques may differ. I mean, I don't know. There might not be a lot of 16-year-olds who want to create a power doll, but you never know, maybe. Um, but I think it's also important, just before we go, to note that there's a lot of apps as well out Mm. in the world today that are so accessible that help provide a sense of calm. And recently I had a student, um, their parents were saying that this child wasn't able to sleep because of their anxiety. And as a result, their worry spot was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And when this happened, um, she wasn't able to sleep, of course, right? And it was just a constant, a, a constant circle that kept going around cycle. And so I suggested a sleep story, right? And you can find, you can just Google sleep stories for kids. And that really helped her, right? And quite often, Mayel will also just listen to calming music before she goes to sleep. And that will help stimulate part of her brain that will help her calm down, right? And help her sleep, which is so important to to help navigate these physical, behavioral, and emotional signs of anxiety. Yeah, that brings up so much, even uh, sleep and even going back to the mind-body techniques. I mean, I use the EFT for obvious sleep every night, which is tapping different acupressure points on the body to calm the nervous system and send a calming signal to the amygdala. And that's also very useful for, uh, for falling asleep as well. And that's probably something that we'll discuss in a future episode. Mm -hmm. So thank you for joining us. And uh, we look forward to hearing how you're implementing these tips. Uh, Please join our Facebook group. And we look forward to the third segment of this anxiety series, which is going to be on how to manage anxiety in your teens. So take care. 
and we will connect again next time. Bye. Thank you for joining us on the I Am Mom Parenting Journey. If you enjoyed today's episode, please follow us and head on over to iTunes to leave us a review. We invite you to check out the show notes for this episode and click on the link to join our free Facebook community to stay connected and continue the conversation with other like-minded moms. Until next time, stay inspired, take action, and create magic.